That's up your backup plan tribe to another awesome, awesome show today. I'm so happy to be here. Our show today are, is moments when death looms, heartbreaking conversations, and finding strength in the face of cancer. I think there's so many people suffering with this journey of cancer. And if I could just help one person be better prepared for whatever might come their way, you know, I know that I can help just a few people. You help one person, you've helped a family, then you've helped another family, and then you've helped another family. And that's what we're all here about today is helping each other. And Casey Head also coming from Central California, just I'm just north of her. Um, I'm so happy to have her on our channel today as a guest. And if you are new here, make sure you like, share, and subscribe down here. Click on that button for your girl. I'm Tina over here with your backup plan app. I'm a creator and developer of your backup plan. And I'm a best-selling author of In the Blink of an Eye. Just like that, your life changes in a flash. In a second, in that moment where your fingers snap, that's how fast your life can change. And it's so true. You don't know when someone's going to have their last birthday. You don't know when someone might have their last breath. And I've experienced that personally. So I know all about what that feels like. Um, we are on all podcast platforms, YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, LinkedIn, and Pinterest. So make sure you can find us there if you would lo love to see more shows like this. We'd love to keep you um, here with us, of course. And we talk about real life stories with really amazing people like our guests today on our shows about their life changing events in their life, tragedies and trauma and sickness or accidents. You know, it doesn't matter. And we're not always given that five minute evacuation notice, guys. We are not. It's not like we're going to have a car accident and we say, hold on one second. I have five minutes first. It doesn't work like that. So welcome to our show today. Um, and we are just going to have a quick commercial break. And I'll see you back here in a quick second. Welcome back to our show. And we are going to be ready to get this party started with Casey Head coming to us from Central California. Welcome, Casey. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Tina. I'm, I'm just genuinely grateful to be here. Oh, I love to have you here. And I, I was so excited when you said you'd love to come on our show. Moments when death looms, heartbreaking conversations, and finding strength in fighting the face of cancer. Um, she is, Casey is a three-time survivor of acute, now I'm, this is a mouthful, of acute lympho, lymphoblastic leukemia. You have to get your lips around that. She's an author and it's on Amazon and it is linked down below for everybody. Um, it's called Finding Your Way Back to Heart Center, Cancer Treatment Ended, Now What? She is a personal trainer, a trauma specialist, a yoga instructor, and you won't believe her story. It should be a movie if it already isn't. Um, I can't believe it. And I'm so excited to hear all about it right from you. This is so exciting. Well, I, I'm, I'm hopeful that um, I bring a value to your audience in my journey. Um, 
Do you want me to start from the beginning? <laughs> Where did, yeah, like with your story, I mean, you're just still so young and you just don't think anything like this is ever going to happen to you. Three times survivor, that's crazy. And, and you're so young and it's just not right. And I think that's what you fight with at first when you first hear those words the doctor says. Like, why me? And w what? Like, are you crazy? Mm -hmm. And I'm just so excited to hear, where did it all start for you? So it started February 14th, 2014. And I was, I went to work that day. I thought I was going to go to a brief doctor's appointment where they were going to tell me I was anemic and I would be back at work in about an hour and a half. And I never went back to work for eight months. And that day in the hospital, I went to well, go. That hits uh, you hard, I, doesn't it? Oh my God. It, the minute it happened, it was dis immediate disbelief. Um, I, as the, we were in the ER, the doctor hands my husband a piece of paper and it says, we think it's children's cancer and hands in the paper. And I'm just like, what, what? Like, I, I, I don't even that? have words. Why is it a children's Um, Because it's typically what children get from ages about three to five. I'm in a rare category of, I was 31 at the time. I had just been married for two years and I, I was, I genuinely didn't have words. And in that moment, I was like, what does it say? What does it say to the, to my husband at the paper? he's like, it says to you cancer. And all I heard was children's cancer. And I started kind of crying, but kind of like, I don't know what to do with that information. And like, how can that be? Like, you'd be like, shocked. Yeah. Yeah. Tina, I was at my quote unquote healthiest at the time. I didn't, I thought I was just stressed out from work and, you know, gave myself Tired. every excuse. Yeah. You know, I was working too much. I wasn't sleeping very well. Like I used every excuse to justify the way I was feeling. And the minute they heard those words, it's like my body just accepted it. And it was like, we need to do this. Like, this is not okay. And I just remember feeling this feeling of devastation of like, <laughs> like almost like, it's Valentine's Day. What are you talking about? Like, yeah, this, yeah. This belief of like, this doesn't make sense. This doesn't make sense. And I had to be um, taken in an ambulance down to like uh, downtown to Northwestern where I went, did all my treatment. And I didn't leave the hospital for 28 days. Immediately was put into treatment. And I remember in the ER when... I was trying to get a hold of my dad um, to tell him to come to the hospital. Like he was, uh, he is a basketball high school basketball coach, and so I knew he was at a game. But I kept calling and leaving messages and saying, like, just call me back, just call me back. Cause I couldn't, can't tell somebody over voicemail. So no, eventually, yeah. or a text <laughs> message. No, hey, just so want to let you know, right. So I just kept calling and hoping he would like pick up for some reason, even though I knew he wasn't going to. Finally, I got a hold of him and I just said, you just need to come to the hospital. 
wouldn't tell him why. I said, just come whenever you can. And it was probably around midnight at this time. We were uh, downtown. And I looked at my husband. And I just go, I can't say it. I can't tell him. He goes, what? He goes, I can't say the word. I'm like crying. Tears are running down yeah. my face. And I'm like, I cannot say the word. I can't tell him. I can't tell him. And my husband looks at me and goes, you want me to tell him? And I looked yes, at him. Yes, please. <laughs> yeah. I, I couldn't even say the word for another, I would say, almost a year. I just couldn't oh, say yeah. cancer. It's like when someone passes away, it's hard. It, it's hard enough to think about it in your own head like that would be. Mm-hmm. But to say it, there's something to be said about when you say it out loud. Like it it does something to you. I don't know what, like, you know, that when you say someone's past, like it's hard to do. It it would be hard like that too. It'd be like, because you don't want to think that you do have it, I think, or something. Not sure what goes on in your head, but. Yeah, it's almost like a denial. Like if I don't say it out loud, it's not real. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So my husband, I could hear them murmuring uh, just beyond the curtain. And my dad walks in, as a dad does, fold his stuff together. And he just held my hand. He goes, everything's going to be okay. And I go, no, it's not. And I'm squeezing his hand. He just keeps saying, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. He's like, he's like, we're going to be okay. We're going to be okay. Like, we are going to be okay. And I was like, I'm not okay. I'm crying. He's crying now because I'm crying. And yeah. <laughs> he's trying Uh-oh. not to cry because he's trying to be strong. And, you know, and it's just like that moment of like, what does this mean? Neither of us knew at that moment either because we're still in the ER, haven't been admitted. We don't know the full scope of what's going to happen. But even in that moment, we knew it wasn't going to be okay. And we just didn't say it out loud. And then I was admitted and they started treatment before they even got the results of the bone marrow biopsy back because they were like, we have to start treatment now. We're 99.9% sure this is what you have. We're going to take the bone marrow biopsy, but we know this is almost with certainty that what the plan is. Yeah. How do they do that with a big fat needle? So, yeah, it's like, uh, it's literally, so your bone marrow lies in your, your lower back, like right, right where oh. your, right, be, right where your buttocks starts. And it's like that hard, uh, bone that's right there where your tailbone is. And so they literally, and it, it's, uh, it looks like a straw and it's metal and it literally drills down into your bone pulls out a sample and it's about this big what it normally looks like for healthy bone marrow is a bloody piece of wood my bone was so compacted and didn't have enough blood inside of it it was it looked like a fake skeleton that you would see hanging in a science class oh it was white and it didn't look like it was human they uh the the resident at the time pulled the first sample he goes oh i think i missed your bone i think i got just bone not the actual uh bone marrow and we're like he goes i gotta do it again is that okay I'm like i'm on i'm 
really on a lot of drugs. I was like, you can do whatever you want right now. Oh, really. good. Because you weren't feeling <laughs> yeah. anything. Like, no, Sounds awful. Like, yeah. Um, it was the first time that I'd ever done drugs was when they gave me the Dilaudid. And I looked at my husband. I, when they, the minute they gave me, I go, oh, boy. He goes, what? What's wrong? I go, I know why people do drugs. <laughs> he goes, oh, my God. I go, I'm so high right now. And he goes, oh, my God. He's like, just like try and like play it cool. <laughs> like, Are you on your stomach then? Yeah. So I was on my stomach. So you're laying flat and you can't see anything. I just know what it, what it is and they're doing. So he pulls out another sample. Same thing. He goes, I think I missed again. So oh, we're like, well, what do you, what do you do? He goes, let me try one more time. So he does it oh, again. <laughs> so three, just oh. in the initial biopsy. He pulled out another one and it was the same thing. It was white compacted bone. And he goes, he goes, I'm pretty sure I didn't miss a third time. He goes, I know for a fact I did not uh -oh. miss for a third time. He goes, maybe once, maybe twice, but not a third time. And that's when he, I think he knew, because we were about the same age, shockingly enough, that something wasn't right for me either, but did not show it on his face. And he goes, well, I'm just going to take these. If we need to do it again, we can do it again. He goes, but I'm going to take these and see what we get back. And sure enough, it was just, I had only four hemoglobin at the time, which normal people range from 12 to 14, depending on the age and sex of the person. So and you had the calf. I had four. So I had a, like a Less third. Less than half. Of what, yeah. Yeah. A third. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so we started treatment immediately. It, the protocol they put me on was 18 months of chemotherapy. It was probably, I think uh, the last I counted was like 20 something different chemos. Um, one of them included interstitial chemo, which is where they go in between your spine, the back of your spine and your vertebrae, take out liquid and put in chemotherapy that goes straight to your brain. Wow. And I had... I had over 33 rounds of that. I stopped counting because it was just maddening. Um, so it goes and, like into your spine and then goes up to your head? Mm -hmm, straight to your brain. Because I didn't know this at the time. They didn't say this or if they said it, I don't remember. It was in my brain. Oh. And I didn't know it. How would they know they that? Said it, um, by markers. Um, that are inside of your blood and like how they because they take spinal fluid to test it so if it's in your spinal fluid it it means that it's basically in your in your brain too oh because it's exactly where it, it comes comes through and down down the path we went um for an 18 month pro protocol and four months into treatment i had a stroke and seizures from the chemotherapy. And I was still not in remission. So amongst being temporarily paralyzed on my entire left side, I still was getting treatment. And I was in a medically induced coma for about three days. I don't remember any of it. I just remember waking up going, I can't move half my body. Like that reality of like, I'm looking up, but I can't move anything. Yeah. And just going, I have to use the restroom. And everyone looking at me like, just go to the bathroom. You you have a catheter and it's fine. I go, no, 
something's not right. And like everyone around me, the nurses, my husband, my dad, his, his wife, were all like, every, it's fine, just go. So I was like, okay. And then I went and I was like, well, why am I wet? And they're like, you're not wet. And I'm like, I'm wet. I'm like, why am I wet? And I'm like crying because like no one's listening to me. And yeah, you feel like you're in a closet or something. And I can't move. And I'm just like, I feel it's like this most, the most humbling experience you've ever had. Oh, and gosh. they were like, oh, yep, there, you're definitely wet. The catheter didn't go in right. Oh. Um, so we're just going to take it out. And is it okay oh. if you use it again? I go, <laughs> yeah, I go, I'm like, okay, I don't, what do you say? Like, yeah, nothing to say. You're, you, so you can't do anything. So, no, I couldn't, like, literally. So, for the next three weeks, I literally couldn't do anything. Sitting up, I needed help. Standing, I needed help. Bathing, going to the bathroom, everything I needed help. And it was so humbling. And I'm sitting there going, this is, this is what I'm doing right now. And everyone else is having kids and doing life. And I'm learning how to walk yeah. and talk. Especially you were always active too, I'm assuming too. So yeah, always since a kid, since I was a kid, um, fitness was always something that I had done. And I just, there were moments where you're just like, this is my reality. And it, you, you don't even feel like yourself because you're like, well, half my body doesn't even work now. Yeah. And I kept asking, I'm like, well, when's it coming back? How much is it coming back? Because we didn't know. And they just kept saying, we don't know. We don't know. We don't know. And I was like, this is not great. No, it doesn't feel good because you feel like you're in limbo and you don't realize that it's your own body and that it is my life now. And, and then you're thinking to yourself, well, I don't want this life. <laughs> <laughs> right. Where's the eject button from this yeah. situation? And I just remember waking up every day going, today is going to be exhausting, but you are going to take steps to get better. And like having to like internally talk to yourself is like, it's okay if they see you naked. It's okay if they see you in like having to negotiate with yourself just on like the vulnerability of where you're at. And yeah. you have no privacy, you have no sense of self. And you're just like a piece of meat they're moving around. Yeah. And you know, I, I don't think you ever get used to that. No. And of all the things that happened throughout the journey, that was the most humbling part because you literally have no sense of control over anything you're doing, including your own self. And How do you just think your be, husband was coping? I think it was just like one moment at a time, like I was just he was trying to be there and trying to do advocate for me as much as possible and be the best caregiver slash husband slash motivator slash friend supporters. Yeah. As he could be all the, uh, everything in one person. And I mean, there are moments for both of us that we just, 
just didn't talk about it, but we were looking at each other as if we said all the words and they, that we could. And I just remember going, the first time I could put on my sock, I was like, I got my sock on. Like, I got it on myself. And it took like 20 minutes just to put a sock on. But I did Isn't it. Isn't that crazy? I did it by myself. When think about it. You know, when we, how we take things so for granted in life every day. Going oh, to the bathroom, wiping your bum, and just those little things, putting your sock on, and getting up to go for a cup of tea or coffee. Like, it's just incredible. Yeah. yeah. What we take for yeah. granted every day of our lives. I will never take tying my shoe for granted ever again. Yeah. Because I knew like the moment I could get sneakers on by myself, that meant like my fingers worked again. And I was like, if I could tie a shoe, that means it's working. And so yeah. like for me, that was like a huge milestone to be able to like tie a shoe. I'm like, I'm 31 years old learning how to tie shoes again. Yeah. If that doesn't give you a perspective. Yeah. And I mean, so I did eight weeks of three hours a day, five days a week therapy to walk, to get brain cognition back and uh, to get back the movements in my left hand and side. Um, and it was slow and it was steady. And long after I was done with treatment, I still continued to do the work to get it stronger. And, right. and, and while well, men still going through treatment. Um, you were still doing chemo then too? I was. I was still doing chemo um, because my, they just kept telling me my cancer is so aggressive. But this treatment protocol, you'll, you have a 97% likely to be in remission forever afterwards. So I was like, okay, that's really high percentage. Like that, yeah. Those odds are great. Let's do this. Let's get this over so I can move on. So fast forward to almost a year later. For the tre chemo treatments, how long does it take, and what do you? How do you lie there and sit there, or what do you have to do? Yeah, so it's it's pretty intense. So they have uh, different phases of it. So the intensive therapy part was. The, well, while I was hospitalized. And so it was pretty much every day. Um, I was getting something of some form. And then when I went outpatient, I would go back three to four times a week, at least. And sometimes it was a, a quick infusion of like an hour. <laughs> and sometimes it would be literally shifting it with the nurses of six, eight hours. Ooh. Um, it's they are long days. Uh, for the treatment protocol that I was on. Um, and that was, you know, just the chemotherapy. Sometimes I would have to go get blood and uh, platelet transfusions as well on top of doing chemo because my counts kept dropping, which is like the whole point. But, right, um, you know, you don't know when they're going to drop or, and, and so you have to be prepared to like keep coming back and your day and time and what you decide to do and don't do is not yours anymore and do you go in and then just lie down on the table then no it was all seated um so like sometimes they would have barca loungers like those reclining chairs sometimes they would have a bed um to like lay in if you wanted um oftentimes i just sat up i tried to read or distract myself with like like I did made a lot it of more solitaire. 
yeah, make like a routine out of it and just like, this is what I do and what, what can yeah. I do that's fun while I'm doing it? Yeah, kind of. Um, because you're my, for my disease, it's so regimented, like on day six and day seven, you do this day eight and 12, you do this, like it's extremely regimented in when you do things and where and if something gets delayed where that picks back up and how um so that was my life for like 18 months wow a year and a half yeah it's a long treatment protocol um and towards the so end of the it's chemo con- sorry casey does the oh. chemo go into your blood system then is that what it it's doing mm-hmm. yeah so it gets directly into uh into your blood and kills the cells but it also kills healthy good ones things too something. yeah so, so what do you have to do to build up the good i did a lot of blood transfusions and i did a lot of platelets uh transfusions so it was a lot of and they're just they can be just as long like getting blood and platelets sometimes takes just as like it's it's definitely like an hour hour and a half two hours it's not as long as some of the chemotherapy treatments, but it's definitely a lot of time considering you have to go there and you have to sit yeah. and then they have to like take your blood to give you blood. It's like, it's, it's kind of maddening in a way. Yeah. Um, Were you really tired I, from it? All the time. You're just exhausted. There's no, I have energy to get through my day. It's just like, you feel like you're just dragging yourself through your day. Like I just am trying to get, through this so I can go home and sit down and breathe. Do you have some rest then every day then at home? Yeah, I, uh, for a lot of my treatment, uh, I didn't work because I just physically couldn't. Um, yeah. You know, there's just, there's an exhaustion level that I've never experienced before and hope to never experience again. Yeah. Um, I did end up going back to work after about eight months because I just wanted something to feel normal, which was a huge mistake on my part. I didn't realize what was ahead of me still. Yeah. Um, because but how do you know? After, I mean, really? You don't. And you I know. think I was trying to tie on to life being normal in any capacity that I could. Yeah. Um, and I think that going back to work felt normal, right? It's what people do, <laughs> especially young, younger people. Like we don't stay at home. We don't yeah. like, it, you know, I was brought up, you work and you, you do, you participate in life. You don't, there's no like, you know, hanging out quote unquote, like, you know, other than intended rest. But the problem with just resting and, and coping is that you you don't see a bright light behind no, it, all. right? No. So when at least if you can go back to work, you kind of feel like you're progressing, I think. Mm-hmm. That was a lot of it. It's like you feel like you're moving forward, even though you're not. Yeah. <laughs> and you wish you were. Right. And I think I was regressing in some ways because the stress of going back to work and having to still go through treatments and navigating both at the same time I yeah. did not set me up in, to succeed in my mind, like mentally. Did it hurt? Um, Does it hurt? It, it physically, yeah. You're just, you, you don't 
realize how much pain there is until you're not in pain anymore. You, does it hurt though with them talk. doing it or is it oh, something I don't, I don't else that one. hurts? Yeah, like no, when they actually so like, do the treatment? Mm -mm. No. So you can't really feel anything. Like I had a pick line, so I have a little scar right here. And it's basically like um, a con it's con it's like goes directly into my aorta, into my heart. So it basically uh, looks like um, an IV coming out of my arm. And it's got like three tentacles, what I called them, coming out. So they can plug right into the chemo or hydration or whatever they needed. Um, and you don't really feel anything coming in. It's, it doesn't hit you till like later. And you just, some of the chemo doesn't hit till weeks later. It's oh, got wow. a really delayed, yeah, it's got a little, it's got a really delayed effect is what they called it. And it also, most chemos have a compounding effect. So the more you do, the worse you feel. And I had a lot right off the bat. So I was running on fumes, had a stroke, was still running on fumes and was tying onto something normal. So I went back to work. <laughs> so I did not set myself up to succeed in any way, but no one was going to tell me no, because no one knew what to do either. So right. everyone was just like, okay, that makes sense. <laughs> Does it? Yeah. It didn't. No one questioned it. No one was like, I don't think that's a good idea. Like, did you do part-time um, or full-time right away? I went back part-time for about a month before my work basically came to me and were like, you need to either be part-time or, I mean, sorry, you need to either be full-time or not working. I, I couldn't, there was no in between. And so I was like, okay, I'll go back full-time. So like, I only had like a, a month, less than a month, maybe a month of part-time before I went back full-time. And I, my part-time was still three days a week. So it wasn't like, you know, I was only going one day and then two days and then three, like an onboarding, which, you know, hindsight, you don't, you don't know until you know. Um, no. So I went back to work, didn't set myself up to succeed. And then I finished treatment almost a year later and I knew something was wrong and I was in denial. I was like, no, it's fine. It's can't be, it can't be back. Yeah. Can't be back. So I went about a week before I really like said to my husband, I go, I think something's wrong. And what do you think so you I, felt? Could you describe I it? Or? I was starting to get very similar symptoms as the first time. Um, hot flashes, uh, night sweats. I started getting really these, they're called petechiae. It's clusters of red dots that are show up on your skin. Um, I started to bruise again, and I was like, "Some it's it's not right. Something's not right." But I was like, "It can't be bad." I was like, "97 percent, 97 percent, right?" Yeah. And I went back to get blood. Um, I called the hospital and I was like, "I think I need to get blood, even though I'm not scheduled till Wednesday." now sooner rather than later and at this point my my medical team was like sure yeah that's no problem so i went during lunch and oh dear. I went, yeah and so i came back to work and this is only seven weeks after i officially stopped chemotherapy and i get a phone call and it's my doctors and they're like 
you have to come to the hospital immediately. They're like, it's bad. Oh, dear. I didn't, I felt like I was being gut punched in that moment. I ran into my boss's office and I just fell to the ground after I closed the door and I said, it's back. And I cried and she goes, okay. And then, you know, everyone knew what was happening and she like kind of collected me <laughs> and she basically like ushered me out of the building because I don't even think I was aware of like what's happening. And kind of like if you had a to... gut punch, right? Really? Cause you're just kind of like what's happening. Yeah. And it was very still surreal. I don't remember the car ride to the hospital. I don't remember admitting, getting admitted to the hospital. I, I don't remember any of it. You know, I just remember being back in treatment. <laughs> I think and our brain like, does amazing things, you know, like amazing. takes away things that they don't want you to focus on. Mm -mm. And so we're sitting there and we're like, okay, well, what's next? Like, are we going back on chemo and in the hospital or what are we doing? My doctor's staring at, staring at us. She's not usually uh, how our hospital worked was there's um, a team of doctors that rotate uh, seeing the hospital patients. And it's not always your doctor. It's a team, right? It's always a team effort. So you're, you, you meet a lot of oncologists that aren't necessarily your doctors, but they are very versed in your protocol and your case. Our, my doctor came to the room and she looked at both of my husband and I, and she goes, so the chemotherapy isn't working. Your body is not responding. And we were like, okay, so what's next? And she looked at us and she goes, well, there's two options. She goes, we can put you on a clinical trial or we can try this immunotherapy that just came out called blindatumumab. And we asked a lot of questions like, does if we do one, does it negate from the other? Like, if we do it and it doesn't work, can we still go on this? Like, all the questions that you can ask in 30 minutes and we had to make a decision. And so obviously like my husband and I are very logical people and we were like, okay, well, if we do the immunotherapy, it doesn't take you away from doing the, stem, uh, the clinical trial. So let's just do that, see if it works. And then we'll do that one if it doesn't. So I was like, okay. And they're like, the immunotherapy is supposed to be better than chemo because it only kills the bad cells. I was like, great, even better. Isn't that where they so, um, just focus on one area and try to kill that certain section or something? Isn't that what it is? No. So immunotherapy is, it's got uh, receptors on the ends of these cells, for lack of a better term that I can think of <laughs> right in this moment, um, that latch onto they're called receptor cells onto your chemotherapy cells that have that same receptor. So they only latch onto the ones that have that. And it's typically like the unhealthy cells, the ones that have cancer and then they kill oh. and destroy them. Oh, and that's it. They don't kill the healthy ones. So well, it's like sending a whole bunch of, what was that? Tiny bubbles, you know, the scrub scrubbing. Oh, spray yeah. stuff scrubbing that, bubbles, kind of, scrubbing yeah. bubbles. And they put it in the tub. And it attacks mm -hmm. all the dirt. And they had that commercial where it's like Pac-Man or something. 
Yes, that's basically kind of, in theory, yeah, what it is. So we're like, okay, great, let's try that. Minimal side effects, they gave us the whole thing. And so it was uh, basically a fanny pack um, that three days uh, straight of this chemotherapy with a fanny pack, or I shouldn't say chemotherapy, immunotherapy yeah, with a fanny pack, showering with it, the whole deal. And then you come back to the hospital, they change it, you get another three days. And they rinse and repeat until they decide. Do you feel better with that than chemo? Is there a difference in how you're feeling? Uh, well, what happened with my immunotherapy was it sent me into a cytokine release storm. So I got out of the hospital and 24 hours later, I was back in the hospital because what happened is my body basically shut down and it's cytokine release storm is when your body starts to attack itself because it's got a foreign object in it and it doesn't know what to do with that. And so it just goes, we're killing everything. It's like hitting the eject button on in an airplane. Like you just, you know, your body just goes, we're not doing any of this. And so, and this is the part I don't remember either. (laughs) I went back into the hospital and for three ish days, my husband said I was spiking 105 degree fevers on and off. And your body's trying to fight it, I guess. Right. Yeah. Yep. Your body, my body was trying to fight it. They had ice packs on me. They had a ice blanket that I was laying on one on top of me. They were just like trying to manage this. So the last day that I remember is they came in and it was the, a lady from the ICU and they were like, we can't support you in this condition here on this floor. We need to take you to the ICU. I begged her. And I said, I don't, I go, I don't want to go to the ICU again. I go, I just, you can't put me there. I go, I will, I, I go, I'm going to be fine. I'm going to be better. I'm not a doctor. I have no idea what I'm talking about. I just, <laughs> you just don't want to go. Was, no. And I was like, I, I'll, I'll be fine. It'll be okay. I, I'm done with, <laughs> with everything. And I was like, I somehow right after that came out of everything. Um, but my husband was the entire time for these three days holding my hand going just five more minutes. Cause I'm like freezing. I'm shivering the entire time. And I'm like, I just, I need him off. I need him off. Like begging him to take the ice off of me. And he's just like, hold on for five more minutes. Five more minutes is all I kept hearing. I was like, okay. And then I'd be like, is it five minutes? Five minutes up. No, five more minutes. Five minutes. <laughs> like this is the conversation for like three days straight with that I had with him that I don't remember. And so I come out of that and I'm like, okay, I guess we're doing the clinical trial. And they were like, yep, you're definitely doing the clinical trial. They're like, we're not letting you out of the hospital. We're doing all the testing and, and everything here. And it's, it takes forever. There's, they test you for everything in a clinical trial, whether it relates to your cancer or not. So your heart, your lungs, they do a full CT, a full PET scan, everything, because they need all the data. So I'm about to start this really scary clinical trial. And a week before I was supposed to start, it got shut down. Unfortunately, too many people had passed away from it. And it got shut down by the drug manufacturer. And so then my husband It and didn't I have like, good enough, good enough response. No, no. So they decided to shut it down instead of continuing it. So my husband and I were like, okay, what's next? Logical question. 
They're like, well, we don't have anything. And I was like, well, time out. What do you mean? You know, there's got to be something. It's somewhere out there in the hospital universe land at another place. We'll go whatever, you, whatever it takes. And they were like, well, there is another clinical trial going on, but they're, they're like, it's full. And with clinical trials, there's no line skipping. There's no, well, I'm in worse condition. I deserve to be there versus somebody else. It is literally a logistics game of you're, not, you're on the list, but we don't know when and if you're going to get on it. Kind of like an organ even, donation. Exactly. Like an organization. Um, rightfully so. And because there's no fair way to do it, to be honest. And I, and they were like, we can't even, you're on the wait list, but we can't guarantee you're going to go on it because they have their own testing that you need to go through. So we, even if we get you in it, it doesn't guarantee that you've got a spot. Right. So we're just sitting there going, okay, well, what do we do in the meantime? They're like, well, we're going to keep you alive with blood and platelets. And do you want to try this additional chemotherapy? They knew it wasn't going to work. We kind of knew it wasn't going to work, but we're like, I guess we're going to keep the cancer at bay at least. Um, so it doesn't continue to, to take over. Yeah. doesn't get and, worse. Yeah. Basically is kind of how we looked at it. And so we did that. And of course it didn't work. And I was like, yeah, that's not surprising. <laughs> we all knew it wasn't going to. Um, and I'm in the hospital now for like 68 days. And I'm like, I got to get out of here. I'm like, I'm going like literally stir crazy. I can't leave the floor. I'm in a room. I just need to get out. I need a fresh air. I need to breathe. Like I need not to be here. And they were like, okay, like we're going to send you home, but you have to promise to come back for blood and platelets and all the things that you need to be coming back for. And I was like, of course. And they're like, in the meantime, they're like, this study just came out. It's from one of the doctors here. It's, it was a two-page study, and it was for a different immunotherapy. And the outcomes were not great. It was an immunotherapy not for my cancer at the time. And my husband and I were, like, looking at this data, and we're like, the outcomes are not good. The 30 people that had the, my cancer on this, 11 of them did not make it. I'm, like, sitting there looking at my husband, like, do we want to try this? Like, Really? And we literally debated back and forth. And I finally just looked at him. I go, I go, you know what? I go, if it doesn't help me, it might help someone else. And that's all that matters. Yeah. Because I genuinely didn't know if I was going to live or not. Well, if, especially if you don't have any other alternative. I mean, do you take something you that isn't there or trying something that has some sort of chance? Right. And so we left the hospital and uh, my doctors had written a letter of compassion to the FDA and the drug manufacturer to get it. Um, so I basically went home and waited without an answer. And they basically, my doctor said, well, in the meantime, you really need to settle your affairs since you're going to be home. And I said, what does that mean? Yeah, what is that? And it was basically like, prepare for end of life, potentially, and being 30, 
I think I just turned 33 at that time. Yeah. I was, you're just in shock. Like, it is like, I got sent home right before Christmas, like literally a week before Christmas. And it was like watching a movie. I go, I'm sitting there thinking every, every day, like this is my last Christmas. Yeah. This is maybe the last time I'm going to go to the movies with my friend, Sarah. <laughs> like, yeah. Trying to do normal things, <laughs> pretend everything's okay. And plus have to have those hard conversations. Uh, yeah. like, uh, and Casey, I tell people all the time, do it when you're healthy. Do these oh. family conversations. Have these worksheets that I give everybody. Do the answer the questions when you're good because it doesn't hurt then. But it hurts mm -hmm. so much when you're in it. Yeah. And so I did. I had hard conversations with especially my dad. My dad was my number one supporter. He ended up quitting his job so he could see me every day. Um, he drove an Uber to make ends meet. <laughs> and I sat down with him and we're staring at the TV, not looking at each other in the eye. And I think Law and Order was on it or something. <laughs> and I said, Dad, you know, I might not, I'm not, I might not make it. And I, I'm like choking back tears as I'm saying this to him. And he, without skipping a beat, doesn't look over, just goes, you know, sometimes we don't make it all. We, sometimes we don't all make it to the end. And in that moment, I felt like he just stabbed my heart because all I wanted him to say in that moment was, It'll be okay. Gonna be fine, and it wasn't fine for either of us. And I just wanted him to say it so badly, and it crushed me in the moment. It freaking crushed me, and I'm just sitting there, tears are rolling down my face, and we didn't say anything else to each other the rest of the time. And he left that day and I was angry. So I was like, why did you have to say that? And what does that mean? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I was just, I was so heartbroken because all I wanted him to say was, it's got to be okay. Everything's going to be okay. But the reality was, we didn't know that. No. You never know that. No. And... I had, uh, I asked him about a year and a half ago why he said that to me in that moment. Yeah. Because I was curious of all the things to say. Why did you say that? Sometimes we don't all make it to the end. And which is such like a juicy thing to say to someone. But he goes, he looked at me, he goes, there's no guidebook on how to talk to your dying daughter. And then I started crying again. Jeez. And that moment, like a year and a half ago, I realized he was trying to wrap his head around the fact that his daughter was dying. And we were both in this place 
together but separate and yeah oh my god and like I was just like okay and I was like I just wanted you to say it's gonna be okay but I couldn't yeah couldn't see it and it's just like that moment where we were just sitting there talking about the elephant in the room acknowledging it and it both two very hurt humans together. What's your husband feeling? I think my my husband Oops. at the time he just he literally was just. I don't think that he ever. Ex- we had a lot of conversations about that, and we mask a lot of our pain with with humor, especially my husband which helps during such a long battle. But at the same time, when you're looking for those moments of like, I just want you to love me and hold me. Yeah. We masked the pain with humor. And I would sit there in a roundabout way, say, do you want to start picking out your next wife now? You know, and we would joke around that because we yeah. both knew, like, we don't know what this is going to be. And he was I like, had a, you know, I had a guest on okay. that actually was lying in the hospital bed like that and saying to her husband, I want to be cremated. Okay. I want to be cremated. Mm-hmm. And I want you to put me right by the front door because I want to make sure that you're going to date the right person and you can't get married Mm -hmm. to them until I approve. All right. (laughs) It's so true. And like, we had similar conversations. Like I said, I said to him, I go, okay, I want you to keep my ashes, but only keep them for a year. I go, and then please don't hold on to them. Do something with them. I go, I don't care if it's in the ocean. I don't care if it's buried in you know, in a forest, I go, but you cannot hold on to them in a closet. I don't want to be in a closet. I go, so just, just, I don't know, get, just don't have them in your house. I go, but you have to hold on to me for a year. I go, and then, <laughs> and then you have to let go of me and you have to move on. And I said, you have to promise me you're going to move on because he's the same age. So we're both 33 trying to navigate the fact that like he might be a widow. Yeah. But, and even the word we couldn't say. Yeah. And I said, I go, and I want you to have a party in my name. I go, don't, I do not want a funeral. I do not want a funeral where people talk about me as if like I'm the greatest person in the entire world because I'm human. I go, I don't want you to skew the reality of like who I am either just because yeah. I'm not here. I go, remember me as I am, the good, the bad, the ugly. And I go, and I go, and then you're going to move on. You're going to find someone. I go, you're going to you're gonna do everything that you want to do, whether it's have kids, not have kids, get married, not get married. I go, but you're not going to not live life. I was very adamant about the fact that he had to live life. And he goes, no, he kept saying no. He goes, I'll, I'll never get married again. I'll never date oh. again. I'll never. And I'm like, I love and appreciate you saying that. I go, but you have to move on. You have to promise me you're going to move on. Because it's the worst feeling when you know you've 
just destroyed someone else's life. Yes. Yeah. yeah. There's a lot of yeah that comes with it, and you know, thankfully, uh, our my immunotherapy was approved. Oh, I not only not only the drug manufacturer but the FDA for me to use mm. as long as I shared the data back with them. And how long did that take to get? About two months. Oh, of just it's waiting. A long time. And it's a very long time, and it gives you a lot of time to think, oh, especially over dear. the holidays. Oh. Yep. And so it was approved, and they were like, "Okay, we're starting immediately." They're like, "We're going to start with four rounds of it and see where what happens." So we did four rounds of it, and we waited. They they pulled another bone marrow biopsy, and they were like, "Okay, we're, you've somehow reached remission. We need to do a stem cell transplant immediately." So I went back into the hospital again, did more chemotherapy, ten rounds of total body radiation, and I received a stem cell transplant from my brother. On February twentieth, which is my "quote unquote" rebirth day, yeah, and he is—he is—he's literally saved my life. Cool. And I have his DNA inside of me and my own, so I have two types of DNA. Oh, weird! It's the weird. So if if you prick my blood, it's his blood. But if you take a sample of my hair, it's mine. Oh, isn't that interesting? Is it hurt it's- for him to do it? Um, it feels like the worst flu you've ever had is what he says. So basically, oh. like, um, they give you a bunch of medication for like a week, which is the worst part is the medication. And then all they do is uh, it's a day procedure because it just depends on how long it takes for them to collect as much blood as they need. And they put um, like an IV into your into your carotid to get it faster. Um, and it took about six hours for him to do from start to finish um and it's just a day procedure and then you go home um and it he said he had another couple days of side effects um just from like because you feel so awful um leading up to it uh because they're trying to like boost your cells in your body basically um to produce more for them to take and then he's like and then he was like fine he goes, and that was it. And I asked oh. him later, like years later, I go, would you do it again? He's like, oh, 100%. He goes, it was, it sucks to go, like, it feels like you have the worst flu ever. He goes, but he goes, compared to what it does for somebody, he goes, absolutely. I do it yeah. for a heartbeat. And, you know, I'm forever grateful for him, for having a brother and for being Having that opportunity. Yeah. Yeah, it's connected us in a way I don't think we would have ever <laughs> been connected. Yeah. In, ever. So um, since that time, then it just kept turning better and better? Yeah, like we just have a really different relationship because of it. Um, but your own yeah. your own blood has gotten better oh, from that no, point forward? Or? Yeah, it's his technically his blood, but it is mine. I just have yeah. a different blood type and DNA um, because it's like a it's like a it's like any organ transplant. 
your body has to accept it and then it just becomes yours, but it's okay. not yours, you know? Right. So, right. but that's where, uh, graph versus host comes in and your body can reject it. And that's why hitting, when you have a stem cell transplant, hitting the hundred day mark is really important. Um, so I hit my hundred day mark. I was, uh, not full engraftment. They call it engraftment when your body fully accepts the new cells. I was always at like 90-ish lingering around there. And then they gave me the worst news that I could hear again. Oh, no. And they caught it so early, I wasn't I wasn't feeling anything. And they go, it's back. Your cancer's back. And I remember hearing that at a routine doctor's appointment, or supposed to be. And they're like, we need to confirm it with a bone marrow biopsy, but it's back. And I just remember it feeling like I was being kicked while I was already down. And I mean, just how long after six from this last out. six months? Mm-hmm. Oh my goodness me. Yeah. So I just remember going like that feeling of utter devastation. Like I cannot do this again. And I just remember crying. I don't even know how long. And I looked up at my husband. I go, I can't do it. I don't have it in me. I can't do it. I can't do this again. Yeah. And he, and he looked at me. He goes, whatever you decide to do is what we're going to do. And, like, he's trying to pull back tears as I'm just, like, full blubber, blubbering at this point. And I start crying again. And I look down. And all that came into my mind was your dad would be so disappointed if you didn't try again. <laughs> True. And so would to you fight, fight this for that long and not go and and at the finish line. And so I something inside of me kicked in and was like, you're doing this and you're doing it again. And that's it though. You're f- going to be done. <laughs> like I just decided in my mind, in my body, I was like, this is it. It's funny when your intuition decides for you, isn't it? It's just like in in an instant, like you didn't even really think about it. Just comes to you and it just says, this is what you're going to do. Yeah, 100%. It's crazy. Yeah. And so I looked back up at my husband and and I go, okay, one more time, but that's it. I'm not doing this again. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, this is it. And he goes, okay. And we did another four rounds of immunotherapy. And basically, we waited. We fingers crossed. They were like, we're just going to wait. We're just going to wait and see if it comes back. We're just going to wait because we don't want to go too aggressive and then run out of options. So you don't have to do the stem cell again part? Yeah. Well, that was the backup plan was to do another stem cell transplant. But it's so physically taxing on your body. Like, I was not in a place to mentally, physically, emotionally fight that third time. Like, I right. genuinely wanted to give up in that moment. I genuinely told my husband, I cannot do it. Must be like an organ donation type of feeling then, isn't it? Hard on oh, your body. Oh, yeah. It's, oh, it's so hard on the physical body. And so I was just like, I cannot rebuild again. I, not that I was rebuilt at all, but I was like, I'm so depleted from the, these last... Yeah. Three three years. I'm like, I can't. 
And he was like, whatever you decide. And I just was like, okay, put on your big girl pants. This is the last time and we're doing it and we're going to be done. And that's it though. And, and how long was that period of time? Like three um, months that you did it or? No, so it, so it was four rounds. So it takes about a month. And since then I've been in remission. Six years, I hit five years now. Five years, six years this year. I know. I know. And now you're talking about it. Yeah, I'm, I am to give others the hope that I wish I had seen somebody just say, keep going, keep going. Do it again. Do it again. Right? Right? (laughs) Until you get it right. (laughs) Yeah. Because you don't know what's ahead ever. And you're so like, you're so just one step at a time. And I've had some friends that, couldn't even take they got sick from just the medicine that they Mm -hmm. give you oh yeah and yeah they just couldn't continue because they're just so sick Mm -hmm. yeah it's just a terrible journey so sorry that you've had to go through this you know there has to be a blessing somewhere in there there is there's messages of hope inside of that story there's um there's just like a level of compassion for other humans that I have now that I would have never had otherwise. And that somebody needs to hear that the next thing that might save your life, just hold on to hope and don't stop. Just don't stop. Just do it. Yeah. Do it. <laughs> it's gonna be, yeah. It's going to be painful. It's going to be hard, but it's so worth it. Yeah. And look at you now. You would have never believed it, right? I know. I still sometimes can't believe what I went through. I wonder, like, like I'm not in that field and I have no idea about cells and stuff like that, but it's interesting that you got the stem cell, then it came back, so there must have been some cancerous cells still there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then this last treatment maybe killed them and your other cells were stronger so you were able to cope I don't know that's my guessing theory (laughs) no it's really similar to that so like that's why they call it engraftment it's like my body fully hadn't accepted my brother's cells and so there was residual cells of mine still like fighting back going nope we want to we want to stay yeah it's comfortable here yeah basically yeah like think about it like uh when your computer crashes like you hit the reboot button or you take out the hardware and replace it well okay we replace the hardware but there's still like a bug in the system you know so we had to get rid of the bug that's in the system of the new hardware and so we that's like the simplest way of explaining it um yeah do you um look at life every year differently then? Yes. Aging is a privilege denied to so many. And I am so grateful to get older. I don't cover up the fact that I'm old. I don't dye my hair. I let the wrinkles happen because they're reminders of a life that I might not have had. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. 
I embrace it. You might change time. that later when you're 60. <laughs> Maybe. And that's, and that's fine. You're you like, know. where did these come from? I just went yeah. to bed and I wake uh, up and I have more wrinkles. <laughs> that's true. But, you know, for now, I embrace them. And I, I, I go, this, this is because you're alive. And it's okay yeah. that you're alive. Because so many don't get to be where you're at. That's for sure. What? I don't want to end this because I know that there's way more to this story than what meets the eye. Um, Casey, what final messages would you like to give the listeners? That you are more resilient than you think. And the worst does happen. And it happens when you least expect it. And that we have to take the moments that we have and do everything that we our hearts desire. Because I will tell you, when I was settling my affairs, I wasn't thinking about the things that I did. I was thinking about the things I couldn't do or wouldn't yeah. be able to do. All the things on your bucket list and all the things you didn't yeah. say, all the things you mm -hmm. should have said. Yeah. All the conversations I wish I was going to have. Yeah. That's more than anything. Yeah, that's beautiful. You should make a like a little quote with that or something. I should. Yeah. That could be part of your legacy when you're 85 and you're sitting in your rocking chair. <laughs> you can tell everybody. <laughs> I, will, I will. I'm going to pull it from this podcast. Yeah, that's right. That's yeah, it's going to be awesome. Well, everybody, can you believe this? I And I didn't even get a chance because I felt like I was just in this movie of Casey's here. Mm -hmm. And um, I didn't say her, all of her information is down below in the description box, as well as her book that she wrote a couple of years ago. So, and that one's called Finding Your Way Back to Heart Center, Cancer Treatment Ended, Now What? That's for sure. You did that a few times, Casey. Mm -hmm. um, and look at her go now. She's a personal trainer and a trauma specialist. You weren't in any trauma. Jeez. <laughs> Gosh. None. None. Oh, man. Okay. And um, I just want to say thank you to everybody for coming on our show today and listening to Casey's beautiful story of motivation and inspiration for everybody out there. If you know anyone that's suffering or struggling with cancer right now, make sure you share this show. It will give people hope. And I, I just, you know, we're just here to touch one person and we've done our job. So, you know, um, and we talk about these family conversations and we do hold free uh, workshops on our Facebook group that you can join and you can ask questions. You can be part of the community and we have free webinars that you can have and where we look at different things of your financial outlook. We talk about things that you should look at, some of the things that you could do, um, some of the family conversations that we have lots of fun doing with drinks and appies and sit around the table and laugh and ask those crazy hard questions that we would normally 
have a hard time answering and we just want to make it easy for you. So make sure you check out that it's um, in my, in my description box below, um, you know, because we created an app that would organize all of your details, oh, all of your details in case of any medical emergency, like Casey had a sudden death or unexpected tragedy to avoid all the tremendous stress for you and your loved ones. It is purely when you have these family conversations and when you complete a lot of these different questions, it literally gives you peace of mind and it feels like a weight's taken off your shoulder and it gives you a better outlook because it doesn't mean you can't look at it again in a year or two or five mm -hmm. years. It doesn't really matter. It's, it's just so much easier when you get started and you can put something together because you don't know what tomorrow's going to bring. And so don't forget to smash that like button down below and share this video with those that you love and care about because you don't know what Casey might have said that might help in some shape or form. And if you were thinking of that special someone, my nose is plugged now, someone special right now and you don't know how many birthdays they're going to have left. You don't haven't said to them about how much you care and love them. Pick up the phone. Knock on their door. I have no idea why I'm crying right now. <laughs> oh, jeez. You hit me in the heart, Casey. Yeah. Yeah. But thank you. You know, when you've gone through this journey, it's a tough one. Very tough. It is. It's very, tough. very tough. Mm -hmm. And I, I often forget sometimes the impact of me even just sharing my story has on someone because when you live it, you don't, you don't think it's the ordinary right so i appreciate your genuine reaction you know it's there was there were a lot of moments that evoked a lot of emotion from me that brought me to my knees yeah that i wish i didn't have to have but i did and i'm glad i did in yes. hindsight well it's like the story i tell <laughs> with a lady who passed away in six weeks because you never mm -hmm. think when you're going to go through that doorway of the hospital that you're never going to come out of it again. Mm -hmm. You don't. You don't expect no. Not at all. anything like that. Mm -mm. No. And like you referenced earlier in the show at the beginning, in an instant. I know. And who would ever, who would ever think that? Right. Who? Like, but it can happen. And mm -hmm. I mean, we don't know what's wrong with us. Really? Mm -mm. It's just our intuition mm -hmm. maybe telling us something's wrong or not right. But otherwise, we don't know. So thank you so very much, Casey, for coming and telling your story. Thank you, Tina, for having me. And I so appreciate being here. Oh, thank you. And I always end our show. And now you're going to have me singing Carol Burnett. 
with a plug nose. <laughs> um, uh, you know, we always end our show with Carol Burnett because she's just a happy, happy soul. Uh, my eyes still leaky. I'm so glad we had this time together just to have a laugh or sing a song. Seems we just get started and before you know it comes a time we have to say so long. So long, everybody. It was great having you, Casey. Thank you. Thank you, you so very fun. much. Thank you. And thank you, listeners. If you haven't already, press that like button and subscribe if you already haven't hit smash that button yet. Because we love to have you. Why not? Because then you'll get notified of more videos just like Casey here. And, uh, and give you some strength and maybe some motivation and inspiration for you guys. Because that's what it's all about. So thanks. Tell, stay safe. Be kind. Till next week. <laughs>